0: We know the Cardinals need pitching, but how did three starters become two starters for this offseason? season? Coming up on B Shave Daily. What's going on, everybody, and welcome in to this edition of B Shave Daily. Brendan Schaefer here with you, Thursday morning, November sixteenth, twenty twenty-three. Some St. Louis Cardinals talk on tap as we've spent the last couple of days poring over the roster moves that the Cardinals have made this week and the ones that may still yet be to come. Friday being the non-tender deadline, so we'll see if any action is drummed up from that. But today on Thursday, we're going to dive back into the main topic of the offseason that we want to continue to be hitting hard, and that is how the Cardinals are going to fix this starting rotation. And I want to dive into some comments that John Moselak made that we haven't gotten to in full just yet. It was back at the GM meetings a week or so ago, and you may have seen reporters putting this into some of their articles, the folks that were out there in Scottsdale, Arizona, at the GM meetings. I know MLB.com, The Athletic, The Post-Dispatch had reporters out there. And Moselak seems to have done a little bit of sleight of hand, and we've talked about this kind of coming down the pike for some time. But going from, hey, we're going to get three starters, we know we need three starters, too. Well, we need at least two starters. Or maybe two and a half starters. And it's like, wait a minute. How did that change? Why did that change? I think we can answer the why. The how is just uh, brute force. You say one thing, and then you start saying a, a second thing. And then that second thing becomes the real thing. In the minds of... Uh, Everybody listening. And so you just keep repeating it, and now two starters is the standard. But we'll cling to August 14th, 2023, when John Moseluk said three starters. We'll at least keep that in the back of our mind, knowing that it may not be what happens now at this point, given the way the tenor of the conversation has shifted since. But if that's going to be the case, then at least retroactively in our mind, we need to remember to not give John Moseluk credit for the idea that he was going to get three starters. Because back in August, September, the vibes were, hey, we know this was bad, but we are going to be aggressive and do some unprecedented things in fixing it this offseason. And to me, that would have been three starters, three capable top five arms that would be slotted into any rotation and you'd feel good about. If the Cardinals went out and did that, you'd be like, all right, I believe you. I, I see why you had such confidence that things were going to turn around so quickly. However... The new tenor of the conversation being two starters and then we'll see where we're at. That could help the Cardinals back to relevancy, but it also feels like a tightrope act, doesn't it? Because it's very possible, especially depending on which two starters you get, that if you line it up and compare what the Cardinals ultimately will have heading down to Jupiter, Florida in a couple of months to, in really three months, I shouldn't say a couple mid-December, mid-January, mid-February, three months until pitchers and catchers report, a little less than three months. But if we end up comparing that group and the projected starting five to what the Cardinals just put out on the field in 2023, and if it doesn't look all that different, how are we genuinely supposed to believe the season result is going to be all that different? And I'll explain what I mean by that as we go through this podcast. So appreciate you guys for listening. Jumping right in, trying to get right to it as we normally have been. Make sure, though, to subscribe to this channel if you enjoy Cardinal's content. You're getting a lot of it here. You're getting it for free. Appreciate you guys who have supported me so much already. But subscribe on YouTube if you're a casual listener. It doesn't cost you a thing, and it helps me a great ton. YouTube.com slash at bshafer12. If you prefer to listen on apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts, search Daily, B-S-C-H-A-E-F-F, daily on those apps, And you'll find our podcast for free over there as well. Okay, so here is the bare bones of why the two-starter comment, to me, could set the Cardinals up for a bit of trouble. And let's explore that by digging into exactly what Moselec has said. Because it went from, we know we need three starters, to the last day of the season, Ali Marmel echoing the call for three starters and saying, that's what's needed, repeating it over and over again, that's what's needed to now we're saying something a little bit different. John Moselock, I'm reading this from John Denton's article, uh, John Denton of MLB.com, and these are quotes. Any any writer that was out there in Arizona has these quotes in their article, but I happen to be looking at JD's. Quote, I think for us our checklist is starter, starter, and then let's see what we look like, Moselock said. We do have some position player talent and depth there, so we do want to explore the trade market just in case we aren't successful on the free agent market. Which reads to me like we're trying to sign a, a free agent starter and then if we can get that done or we can't, that'll let us know how aggressive we need to be in the trade market in terms of trades. Continuing, well, we certainly feel like we need at least two starters. I think we have some, and then in quotations it's implied that he's talking about relievers. I think we have some bullpen talent, it says, that we can arrange, but we're not going to close ourselves off to the reliever market. But we are going to take a more patient approach that allow other things to happen patient, prudent, you're kind of hearing a lot of the similar language that has been the hallmarks of John Moselock's front office in recent years. And it's not that I want them or Cardinals fans want them to go out and be reckless, but when you keep hearing patient and prudent and it sounds the same as it always has, again, where is that line to delineate that this one's actually going to be a different offseason compared to previous ones where the Cardinals have Dip their toes into the water and tried to do the, it, it feels like the least possible intervention to get a result. And hopefully what we did is enough. That sort of feels like what the past has been, right? You sign Wilson Contreras. It's the only thing you do. You, you rest on your laurels with the pitching and say, hopefully we've got enough. And then when you don't, you're like, oh, it has to be drastically different. And then here we are in the offseason. You're like, well, we do have to be patient with how we approach this. That's just not the language I know Cardinals fans want to hear. It's probably an overreaction to pretend that that is some sort of smoking gun that the Cardinals aren't going to do anything this offseason because, again, I do think that they're they're going to be active. But now we're starting to hear the conversation kind of shift toward the idea that, hey, it's going to be tough out there in these mean, free agent streets. I'm reading this from Katie Wu's article with The Athletic. Quote, this is from Moselock. Quote, I think we'll be able to... And in quotations, she puts, or in parentheses, I should say, add two starters. So the question was clearly related to adding two starters. I think we'll be able to, but they're not all going to be like the guy. That's going to be hard, mosley like said. The upper tier of this market is going to be uber competitive. We know we need innings, right? Obviously, when someone says that, there's a bandwidth of super quality and then inching our way through. Katie goes on to write, in other words, don't expect the Cardinals to land two of Yoshi Yamamoto, Aaron Nola, and Blake Snell making up the higher tier of free agents in the starting pitching market. So the Cardinals are not going to, it's not a case of John Mozeliak saying, hey, instead of three starters, we're going to get two that we're going to spend a bunch on. So it's not even that, which I think Cardinals fans might be satisfied by, right? If they said, well, if you're getting Yamamoto and Blake Snell, now I'm cool with just only getting two starters. That's not even what they're saying. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. They went from three starters to, and eh, we're kind of going to get two, and they're not even going to necessarily be two good ones. And, you know, we might not even get one from that upper tier of Yamamoto Nola-Snell because, well, it's going to be really competitive up there. So, again, it's just kind of slowly walking back the initial optimism and the description of aggression until you're kind of like, well, man, what are you getting that's going to be different from last year? Because let's take a look at last year. Here's what's interesting to me. You have to evaluate the rotation, not for what it was at the end of the season, but honestly for what it was before the trade deadline. Because that's the team that that tanked so hard you were forced to then trade away at the deadline and not add. You can't look at it at the end and say, well, we're improving because we added a guy that's going to replace Drew Rahm. We added a guy that's going to replace Dakota Hudson. We added a guy that's going to replace Adam Wainwright. And, you know, the three, number three starters that we landed are all incrementally better than what we had there. No, no, no. No, no, no. Because what you had at the end was a merry band of misfits collection that was, was only the case because you'd already given up on the season. You have to look at it from what it was before they traded Jack Flaherty and most importantly, Jordan Montgomery, because I want to explain why it's going to be difficult for the Cardinals to suddenly just add a couple of starters and get way, way better than they were last year when you consider that Jordan Montgomery pitched really well. He was good not only for the Rangers and getting to the World Series after the Cardinals dealt him, he was good for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2023. So when you talk about replacing last year's rotation, yes, it gets a lot easier when you're describing Adam Wainwright was in this rotation to begin the season. He ended up logging over 100 innings for this rotation, and he was terrible. So replacing him with even a, a number four, number five caliber arm is going to be a vast improvement. That's true. But if you're going to look at it from that perspective, you also have to look at it from replacing Jordan Montgomery with something better is going to be really, really difficult. He had 21 games pitched, 121 innings, not quite six innings per start, but gave you some pretty good quality innings. Not quite a strikeout per inning, but the ERA of 3.42. If you're going to replace Jordan Montgomery with ERA of 3.42 and you're going to do that via free agency, it's going to hurt. Right, because Jordan Montgomery is probably going to make twenty million a year. I don't know that he's signing with the Cardinals, but wherever he signs, that's going to be what the deal is. Let's look at it this way: Who's the top of the free agent market? Starting pitching: Yamamoto, Aaron Nola, Blake Snell. Are those the clear top three? Okay, who's in the next tier? Is it Sonny Gray? Depends on how you feel about, uh, you know, thirty-four years old going on thirty-five years old but had great numbers last year, so I'm not disputing that I think he could be really valuable to the Cardinal rotation for at least a couple of years before maybe you see a bit of a decline. It's not a guarantee that he would be great, but I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt in this conversation. But where does Jordan Montgomery fall in that pecking order is basically the question I'm looking to pose. Because let's say that it's in that sunny gray tier and you've got Jordan Montgomery in that tier, do you then have Eduardo Rodriguez in that tier? Does he count within that? How do you feel about Shota Imanaga, the other Japanese pitcher that's going to come over? Uh, you know, wh- Where do where do the lines get sort of drawn on this? Is there consideration for Clayton Kershaw, or we just assume he's going to be a Dodger until he decides to retire? Where do guys like Giolito, Marcus Stroman, Seth Lugo fit into that mix, Michael Waka like you start going down the list, I would make the case that Jordan Montgomery is ahead of nearly all of those names in terms of quality for agent starters that you could sign. He's probably behind Yoshi. He's behind Aaron Knoll. He's behind Blake Snell. That might be it. I think I'd rather have a three, four-year contract or even a five-year contract for Jordan Montgomery than three or four years of Sonny Gray, especially the way that we saw Montgomery look in the postseason. So let's say you can sign Jordan Montgomery. Like, this is why I feel it's so important to frame it this way. I don't know that Montgomery wants to come back, but let's pretend that that's what you're able to do because that would honestly be one of the better outcomes of the offseason to get as a a quote-unquote number one acquisition in terms of free agency. Because Moselec is already saying, hey, the top of this market is going to be uber-competitive. Right? This is a quote from Mo. I'm reading it from Katie's article again, reminding you. Quote, the upper tier of this market is going to be uber-competitive. And then he goes on to say, we know we need innings, right? Which is kind of the way to shift the conversation from if we strike out on Yamamoto, Nola, and Snell because those guys are going to cost a lot and we've only got the amount of money that we've got budgeted to fix the entire problem, we can't spend 60% of that budget on just one guy. We know we need innings, right? So we're going to have to get a few guys. That's what that's saying. Obviously, when someone says that, there's a bandwidth of super quality and then inching our way through. If the Cardinals are are moving toward inching their way through with a bunch of innings eaters, first of all, that doesn't overnight fix the, the strikeout rate problem. Remember this week we've talked a lot about boiling down the Cardinals' failures of 2023 to you had three starters that combined for over 380 innings. We're talking about Wainwright, Hudson, and Michaelis, one of which is penciled into your rotation. You've already paid him to be there for the next couple of years. It's Miles Michaelis. All three of these guys were near the very bottom of MLB in strikeout rate. Michaelis was second from the bottom among qualified starters. The other two didn't have enough innings to qualify for these statistical categories. So if you lower the threshold and say, of all MLB pitchers who threw 80 or more innings, the lowest strikeout rate in baseball was Adam Wainwright. Second lowest was Dakota Hudson. That's a sample size of 172 pitchers. You had the bottom two, and then of the guy who did qualify, only Jordan Lyles was lower in Major League Baseball. Among guys, and I don't know qualifying if that's 150, 160 innings. I'm not 100% sure exactly the total on that. But basically, guys who made up a big chunk of your starting innings, they didn't strike anybody out. I mean, relative to the rest of the league, like nobody was striking out against these dudes. And you combine that with the defense declining, the shift ban happening, the pitch clock causing you to maybe have more balls in play as a result. It was a perfect storm, a disaster for the Cardinals for the way they have historically played in terms of run prevention, they weren't able to execute it to a very good degree in 2023. That's what, to me, is is the biggest reason they struggled. You can look at offensively, you no, know, runners with scoring position, inconsistent hitting, they score 10, then they score 2, and just not having a day-to-day approach. That's something that's we've been talking about ever since I started this podcast like five years ago. So, that's not new. But, the pitching thing was new and different. They did not have the defense that they're used to having and the strikeout rate, which was already bad by MLB standards in previous years. It got worse last year. So if you turn to it and say, hey, the way we're going to fix this is, you know, we need innings, right? I mean, there's a bandwidth. We can get super quality, but then there's also the the idea we got to inch our way through as a quote from John Moselock with just innings. If you're just getting innings and those innings aren't guys who are going to have high strikeout rates, suddenly you're back in a very similar position that you were in. But let's diagnose it. Again, Miles Michaelis. Like, I'm going to read you baseball reference. I'm looking at baseball reference here. There are six starters that the Cardinals came into the season with. And really all six of them did log significant innings. 80 or more innings. Um, The guys that are listed here. Michaelis, Montgomery, Flaherty, Mats, Wainwright, Hudson. Those are the six that we knew coming into the season. It ended up being the six that threw the most innings for this team. Zach Thompson had 66 innings. Libertor had 61 innings. Woodford had 47 innings. Those guys mixed in as sometimes starters as well, but they threw fewer innings than Dakota Hudson's 81. So I'm going to I'm gonna talk about these six because generally you're going to have about six guys that log significant starter innings, right? Someone's going to get hurt. Someone's going to be that swing man. That's why Moselec says two and a half, right? Uh, We're seeing at least two starters here. That's kind of the two and a half. We're going to get two, and then we're going to get swing man. We're going to get a guy that can maybe pitch to the bullpen, long relief. Maybe he subs in, Uh, like a higher... Caliber version of what a Jake Woodford was for you last year or what a Libertor was for you last year. That's kind of what they're looking. They're looking at, for more certainty in that role, and you might pay a handful of million for that, 5 to $10 million for that in free agency on an annual basis, but at least they're looking to upgrade that spot. But let's say that these are your six starters and it was as bad as it was, all right? You, move, you remove Wainwright, and let's say you get your Seth Lugo or you get your swing man that you're going to pay eight to $10 million for, and it ends up being an obvious improvement over what Adam Wainwright gave you, 100 innings of a 7.4 ERA. All right, so you've gotten a little bit better there. We're not going to deny that. Steven Matz gave you 105 innings. Do we know with certainty that Steven Matz is going to be healthier next year? You have to hope so because he only pitched about, you know, 60% of the innings that you're going to need from him if you're penciling him into your rotation. Now, maybe that's part of the consideration for the swingman to say that we know that some of our starters that we do have aren't going to be rely upon uh, relied upon for that 170 innings, and so we have to be prepared to have other guys. Because last year you had Michaels give you 200 innings, Montgomery give you 121. Now, he would have given you 170 or whatever it was if he had stayed with the team. Same with Flaherty, who was at 109. But then Mats only gave you 100, Wainwright gave you 100, Hudson filled in for 81. But as we look up and down this list, it's like, how is it going to be different enough that it's so much better? Because they, they lost a lot of games. It has to be much better. All right? But if Michaelis is back, he's in the rotation. Mats is back. He's in the rotation. You're replacing the one spot that was Wainwright-Hudson, right? You can kind of combine that into a 180-inning starter. You're replacing that with a swingman or you're replacing that with an actual starter. Whatever the case is, how do you account for the fact that Mats maybe is going to miss more games this year? How do you account for Jack Flaherty, who was middling at best, you know, 4.43 ERA? What What does that spot have to turn into to suddenly launch the Cardinals into relevancy? The problem is, you have more than two names here that you need to replace meaningfully. And... The Cardinals are talking, well, two, and then we'll see. And maybe we can make up the deficit with bullpen additions, which I'm never in favor of really paying hard-earned cash for bullpen additions because those can flame out even more easily. If you're trying to get innings and, and get bang for your buck when you're buying innings, don't spend $10 million on a relief arm. That would not be the way that I would approach that. Get a guy that you know can throw you 100, 120, 140 innings go after starting pitchers and maybe guys who also have a little bit of experience pitching out of the pen, just in case they're needed to do that. The swingman idea is okay. But when I'm looking at this rotation, I'm going, all right, let's say you get Jordan Montgomery because that would be one of the best outcomes possible in terms of free agent starters. Not quite a Blake Snell, not quite a Yamamoto, not quite an Aaron Nola. But after that, isn't he the guy that you want of the free agents? Probably a little bit more than Sonny Gray. If that's true, okay, you've got him back. That's what you had last year. Michaelis, Montgomery, Matts, that's what you've got back. I'm not counting Hudson because whether they non-tender in this week or whether they look to trade him or whether they just get enough starters that he's not in the mix, I I just don't know how you could justify going into 2024 and saying it's different now, we had an aggressive offseason, it's different, and still be counting on Dakota Hudson, one of the lowest strikeout rates in baseball. When you're saying K rate has to be, the thing that we chase to improve. How does it get different? If one of the starters you get is Jordan Montgomery, he was already part of it last year when it was was bad. He wasn't the reason it was bad, but that means you have to get so much better with the other additions in order to improve it. So if you're Michaelis, Montgomery, and Mats, you get a second starter, but Moselech has already said, well, we're not getting both of these starters from the top tier right i think we'll be able to add two starters but they're not all going to be like the guy that's going to be hard mozelock said so who's the second best starter you're getting if you strike out on the top tier and montgomery is the best you do with the the number 1 you pick up okay we you know we like we like montgomery i think that is a, a rotation stabilizer but you have to realize that's what you had last year you already had that when it was a problem So you add another arm. Who's the second arm going to be? And this is where we get into, I think, why trades are going to be so important. Because even though it's going to hurt and it can be difficult to do, a Logan Gilbert does go a long way to fixing this rotation because you're replacing that Jack Flaherty spot or that Wainwright spot with a Logan Gilbert. And suddenly you say, that's an evident way that you've upgraded. Right? That's an evident way. So Logan Gilbert. Dylan Cease, even to me, Tyler Glass now, which is a little riskier because he's only pitched 120 innings and that's like his career high. He's an injury-prone pitcher. That's just the way he's been. But the stuff is real and the upside to potentially find an ace for one year on a bargain because I don't think he'll cost as much via trade as some of those other guys. He's going to be owed a lot of financial resources, but that's just for one year. I think you can look the other way on it. Even if that rises your payroll above your projected budget – you need to be willing to do that or you're not serious about winning. That's the reality, right? Don't don't say we really wanted to be aggressive and then you don't aren't willing to just pay a little bit more money to a player for one year just to make sure you're covered. It doesn't work, I don't think, for Tyler Glass now to be the second guy you pick up. You can't get Sonny Gray and Tyler Glass now and be like, We're, we did it. You can, but then you can quickly see how the innings might not be there. And I think the Cardinals realize that. Sonny Gray, 180-some-odd innings, hey, he's going to be reliable if he's healthy. Michaelis, he's going to give you the innings. Will the quality be better than they, they were in 23? You hope so. Steven Matz, I think he'll be good if he's out there, but two years in a row he's pitched partial seasons. So where do those innings come from? If you add Tyler Glass now, are you doing so saying, that's 180 innings of ace-caliber pitching? Or are you more realistic in saying, that's 120 innings of ace-caliber pitching, and so we still have a deficit in the rotation if we go that route. That's, I think, why the Cardinals are going to be hard-pressed to be convinced that Glasnow is the right answer because in their mind, you're spending $20 million on a guy. You're trading an Alec Burleson and a pitching prospect for a guy. That guy better be reliable or we're not wasting our time with it. Title Glasnow needs to be more of a luxury to the rotation, and I don't think the Cardinals are in a position where they're going to be adept enough at navigating this market to be making luxury buys. That's the concern. Because, again, they're they're describing some concern about their ability to navigate the top of the market. They're certainly not getting two guys from the top of the free agent market. If they can even get one, that's going to be a significant portion of the resources that they're comfortable spending. You almost need to get one better than Jordan Montgomery from that Yamamoto-Nola-Snell tier, and Snell, I mean, he just won the NL Cy Young basically unanimously. He had a great season, but he also is a guy that historically hasn't given you quite as many innings. He breaks down at times. So if you put all your eggs in that basket and it costs you a significant portion of the money that you're willing to spend, there's there's risk there. I'm I'm in support of it. I think they need to sign one of those big three because you gotta give yourself a chance at upside, right? It's it's difficult to imagine improving off of last year's rotation without getting one of these big additions right. Taking a gamble and being right that, that you have a Cy Young caliber guy at the top of your rotation because that allows everything else to be a little bit more ordinary and you still get away with it. You can have one Cy Young caliber arm and then some ordinary innings eaters like a Michaelis and maybe like somebody else that you pick up in free agency that's that's from a lower caliber tier. And you can get away with that. But if, you're, if your best ends up being Montgomery, which, again, is not to, to diss Montgomery, it's just we know what that looks like already when Montgomery is the, the Cardinals' best pitcher and you have kind of just a bunch of guys behind him. It looks like it did last year. Yes, you improve by improving on the Wainwright spot. But is it enough? And that's assuming they even get Montgomery, which, as I've described, may not happen. They may have to settle for Sonny Gray, which you could say, eh, Gray's just as good as Montgomery, maybe better in in the short term. So that's fine. But you're still right back where you started last year with spots one, two, and three. Montgomery, Michaelis, Mats. Because right now, those, those would be the three. You know, Wainwright's gone, Hudson is around, but do you really want to count him? And Flaherty is gone. So if it's Montgomery, what happens next? What are you adding behind that? Because if I go down this list of free agents... Do you then sign an Eduardo Rodriguez, or is that going to be too expensive? Lucas Giolito, Marcus Stroman, Seth Lugo, Shota Imanaga, I think would be a really great target to go along with if they get a top guy. But I think this offseason, the more I look at it, only works, Michael Waka. I think this offseason really only works if the Cardinals sign somebody from the top six, I'm going to call it, or the top five. This list I'm looking at has uh, Shohei Otani on the list, and he's not going to pitch this year. So I'm, and the Cardinals aren't signing him, so I won't count him. Yamamoto, Nola, Snell, Montgomery, Gray. You need one of them. You need one of them at a minimum, and then if you get one of them, you give yourself a fighting chance. But I think if it's Gray or Montgomery, you still have a long way to go to be able to convince anybody that you're going to be better than you were last year. Because by putting Montgomery or Gray into this rotation, it's just like having Montgomery again, like you just did when it was rough. So you're going to be counting on a better Michaelis and a, and a more, uh, I'm not going to say consistent, just more innings from Stephen Matz. You need the same amount of innings from Michaelis, but more quality. You need the same level of performance from Matz, which was an ERA under four. He had like a 380 ERA by the end of the season. But you need that in another 50, 60 inning dose. You need more from him in terms of volume. All right. So those are already two ifs. Because last year, the whole problem was coming into the season, we looked at the all the question marks in the rotation. We're like, man, that's a lot of ifs. Right now, we're describing a scenario where you still have a same or at least very similar number of ifs because we have a Montgomery or a Gray, which we're counting as not not being an if, which nothing is guaranteed. But if you spend that kind of money, it just needs to work. If whoever you sign in for agency doesn't pitch well, you're screwed. I mean, that. I think that's kind of going to be a given. You have to get these decisions right which is incumbent upon the front office. Is it easy? I never said it was easy, but it's what has to happen. <laughs> like you, you, Everybody else is trying to do the same thing, When Only a handful of teams are, are really going to succeed in that. 12 teams or whatever are going to make the playoffs. You want to be one of them. You have to get these decisions right in order to be one of those teams. So you make the decision on free agency and you get that right, we're going to count that. Michaelis, being the same as he was, is not going to have the impact that I think it's needed to be better so he's at least got to lower that era by a half a run and get back down to 3.9 or 4.0 same number of innings so that means he's got to stay healthy steven Matz, do exactly what you did but stay healthy and, and do it for longer all right so now we've got three spots of the rotation that you feel okay about but for spots four and five we've already acknowledged that mosey is saying yeah we can't dip twice into the top tier of this market so who's the second guy the answer is at some point, again, if we're going to say it is going to be different and better, at some point you have to let go of what you have on the position player side and maybe in terms of pitching prospects, guys that are maybes, but they have enough cachet right now to be thrown into a package and turned into a guy that's much more than a maybe. you got to make that hard trade. And I wouldn't trade Brendan Donovan. I've talked about the reasons why. I think he's huge as a, a spark plug to, to lead off this lineup. I think his flexibility is important. I think his second base defense is important. I think his leadership in the clubhouse is important. All that being said, love Nolan Gorman. If he's got the trade value that that we think he might, based on on paper, forty home run potential, young slugger from the left side of the plate plays fine enough defense on the infield, like that could have a lot of trade value. You have to use that player or or other players. Like again, if you want to reorient the the, the lineup differently. Don't trade Nolan Gorman. I'm not trying to get rid of Nolan Gorman. It's just a necessity to trade somebody that you value from the position player side. Maybe it's Yvonne Herrera. Could he could he centerpiece a package for Dylan Cease that goes with some really talented young pitching? Would you trade Herrera and Tink Hence for Cease? I don't even know if you would. I don't even know if that gets it done. I think that would be a preference of the Cardinals to trade from catcher since they have already allocated resources the way they want to at catcher with Contreras and spending money on him. Maybe that's the way you get that done. I just don't know if it's realistic. Do you get Gilbert that way? Probably not. Gilbert, you know, they don't even want to trade Gilbert. Could you now I don't know what Seattle needs as far as a catcher. Um you know it's kind of Cal Raleigh is is spends time as their catcher. Taking a look at the the depth chart. Like does catcher move the needle? From for a lot of teams it typically doesn't. Cal Raleigh looks to be the only catcher on their their forty man right now, but you know, would they trade a Brian Wu or a Bryce Miller or an Emerson Hancock? And is that enough if you're the Cardinals to say that that's someone that we're going to rely upon in our rotation? A young a young pitcher. They don't want to trade Gilbert because he's clearly like already a top of the rotation type of arm, but maybe the Cardinals have to take a chance on a maybe. But the maybe is better than the maybes they have in their system, so they're going to trade Ivan Herrera and a prospect for one of those secondary Mariners starters. And maybe that's the deal you make for a controllable arm. But you don't know for sure how good that guy is yet. Maybe you hit and he's, you know, he's a a top prospect like a a Brian Wu that had a four ERA and looked capable at the big league level. But maybe that guy comes to St. Louis and takes a step forward and you fixed it that way. Maybe that's the Cardinals' preference. They added Pedro Paz to the 40-man roster, protected him from Rule 5. Talked about that in yesterday's episode. Maybe that's kind of the, the route that you look to go. Because you think you can make a trade and come up with a pitcher that way. And you really don't want to trade Nolan Gorman. You don't want to trade Brendan Donovan. You don't want to trade Tommy Edmond. I think if you trade from that group, you can get away with having a lineup without making any outside additions to the offense because all those guys are kind of in that middle infield mix. But like if you trade Edmond, suddenly you've you've admitted that you're either gonna have to go out and get a free agent outfielder or you're relying upon Tyler O'Neill and Dylan Carlson again in the same capacity that you did last year, which you can go back to that well, but it didn't work. So you have to make a decision on are you willing to stake 2024 on a chance that the thing that you spent six months hoping would work out last time is suddenly going to be different than it was. Like those are the kinds of difficult decisions that mozilla has got to make, not just in the pitching department, but in the other categories of this team. And, and if you're talking about trading Tommy Edmond, I know a lot of Cardinals fans would look at it and say, well, it's easy. You trade Tommy Edmond because he's a little older, he's a little bit less punch offensively, and he's got a little bit of a higher salary, less years of control. Well, that should be the guy you trade. Keep in mind, you trade that guy, I think you do lose from a clubhouse perspective Tommy Edmund valuable to this team inside that room. But if we're letting go of that, you're not going to get as much for him because he shouldn't, for the very reasons that you have described, he's not as valuable via trade to other clubs. They're not going to trade their top pitcher because they say, well, I mean, this guy's only going to be around for a couple of years. We got to pay him a little bit more. He doesn't have the up upside offensively of Donovan or Nolan Gorman, so that's not as compelling to us. We are going to stand firm and say, we'll trade with you Cardinals, but we, you know, we need the player that we think is is going to get us more long term, more controllable, more upside, etc. That's the difficulty of, of navigating these waters for Moseley. Like, You got to make a decision. And in your mind, like as I look at this from the outside, I'm not John Moseluk, but as I look at this trade thing from the outside, as it pertains to the Mariners, I'm like, I, we know that they want contact. We know that they would like some power, but they just really want consistency in their lineup. And that's where Gorman might not be the fit for them because he's more of a streaky, hot, cold player. Do they do they want to delve into that? And do they want to give up a big pitcher for that? They might say, sure, we do. We'll give you Brian Wu. We'll give you Bryce Miller. We'll give you somebody from that second tier we're not giving you George Kirby. We're not giving you Logan Gilbert. And the Cardinals might say, we'll trade you Gorman, but we need Logan Gilbert. And that, because of what other players each team has, they can do this little do si And as a result, I think the Cardinals are more desperate to do a deal with the Mariners than the Mariners will be with the Cardinals. And that would work against them in trade negotiations, which is why I don't expect a trade with the Mariners. Because the Mariners would, would say, yeah, we'll take Gorman, but you got to do it for Brian Wu. And the Cardinals are like, man, this guy's already a little more proven. Swap the proven Logan Gilbert, and we'll give you Gordon Graceffo on top of it. We'll give you maybe even 10 cats. Like, we'll make a trade where we give you the upside in pitching, but it's just less proven. We just need a proven arm right now, and the, that you go round and round and round. I'm not saying that's how negotiations are going, because like I said, I'm not Mo, I'm not Gersh, I'm not in those conversations. But if I'm looking at it from the outside, I could see a scenario where, like, that's the tenor of those conversations. Where the Cardinals are almost hamstrung by what else they do have. Because if you're talking with the Mariners, they can say, Well, you know, we're hanging up the phone if you don't if you don't offer Brendan Donovan. That's who we really want. Or we're hanging up the phone if you keep asking for Gilbert for this guy. We've got the pitching you need, Cardinals, but you're you're not getting you're not getting Gilbert. You're getting these other guys. They're more tradable. They're more expendable to what we do over here. What does Moselak say at that point? Does he Take his ball and go home, talk with another team, or does he get to the end of the, you know, toward the end of the offseason and go, we have to make a deal. And even if we're getting a little bit stretched thin in terms of the value we think we're getting back, we have to at some point mix this up and find the pitching to get us through. Maybe you turn to the White Sox and offer a similar package for Dylan Cease because you couldn't get Gilbert, you go after Cease. I think that'd be perfectly fine. Cease should be reliable. Gilbert should be reliable. I'm not entirely sure about the other Mariners pitchers if they're quite on that level. That's going to be a difficult conversation if it should come to that for the Cardinals. What if the pivot, though, for the Cardinals was, all right, we'll trade you Nolan Gorman for for Brian Wu or, again, one of the secondary starters that the Seattle Mariners have, but we also want Matt Brash because he's a young reliever that's controllable. Would you trade Gorman and a, a pitcher, whether it's Graceffo or somebody that you consider a little more... Uh, A little lower in the pecking order. Would you trade that package for Brian Wu and Matt Brash? See, that gets a little more interesting because you're able to cover some of those innings, even if it's not just starter innings. Matt Brash is a guy who's very interesting. I brought his name up before. I don't know that the Mariners are looking to trade him. I don't know that the Mariners are looking to trade any of these guys, but we know what they want. They want to improve offensively. The Cardinals want to improve with their pitching, and so round and round you go. Matt Brash pitching in his age 25-year-old season. He doesn't turn 26 until May. Only a couple of years of uh, service time so far, so lots of team control remaining. Free agent in 2029. So you'd have him for a long time. Last year led the American League in innings pitched, it appears. Or actually led all of major leagues in innings pitched. 78 games, 70 innings, 107 strikeouts. He would be fantastic. Would you trade Gorman and a pitcher for Brash as a reliever? to help you get some quality in the in the, in the the back end. And also you're getting a, a Brian Wu or a Bryce Miller. And maybe the Mariners say, no, we love Brian Wu and Bryce Miller, but I'm just trying to look at a guy that would be a lower tier than what they have in Logan Gilbert and say, are they more willing to do it? I say maybe if you're getting Matt Brash too, I would be in, in favor of that. But that could be so far off base. That could be so far out of line that they're like, no, that's not something that we'd do. But the, I think if you're Mo, you have to be exploring these avenues because, again, when we – cycle back to free agency, they're talking about how difficult it's going to be to navigate the top of the market and to get two guys from the top of the market. They are basically saying that's not going to happen. So if the top of the market is the top three guys and you don't even get one of those, you get guy number four or guy number five, Gray, Jordan Montgomery, suddenly there's still a deficit to be made up because you're right back where you started with spots one, two, and three. Spots four and five, again, I mean, Flaherty wasn't good, Wainwright wasn't good, Hudson sprinkling his innings across those two spots wasn't good. So even just getting some number 3 caliber names into those two spots can can get you better. But is having the same number 1 Montgomery to Montgomery, same number 2 Michaelis to Michaelis, same number 3 Mats to Mats and then filling a little bit better at number 4, a little bit better at number 5, does that get you from 70 wins to 90 wins? I would make the case that it doesn't. And that's why, to me, it's just so important to add a wild card via trade. Even if the wild card is glass now and you say, hey, we need him to pitch 170 innings, our, our season hinges on that. Probably not very successful, but at least it would be a, a path where you could see it. Like, if this guy stays healthy, we have another ace in the rotation that would be huge. Logan Gilbert, he'd be that. Dylan sees he would be that. Beyond that, you're looking at making some trades that are less likely to result in a complete fix to the rotation or you're spending in free agency, which we are already getting the vibe that the Cardinals aren't going to do to the level of, Hey, we're getting three starting pitchers. You almost have to trade for somebody. Even if we do believe in Mo's ability, they sign Gray or Montgomery and they sign Imanaga because he's coming over from Japan and maybe they get lucky and he translates better than people think he will. He was 160 innings with a two six, six ERA last year in Japan. I'm trying to come up with a comp for what that would be. But like if you view him as he's going to be about a number three, number four with like a four ERA and a solid enough strikeout rate, solid enough run prevention and give you 160 innings, like you can definitely get away with that. And it would be an improvement on the Wainwright spot. Would it be much improved over the Flaherty spot? I don't know. But that's only your number four. If you do that, you still need to trade for somebody or sign a third guy. And at that point, if Imanaga is going to make about fifteen million, counting the posting fee, if Montgomery or Sonny Gray is going to make twenty to twenty-five million, now you've spent conservatively thirty-five million, probably more like forty, and you had what fifty-seven to sixty million to work with, and you haven't touched the bullpen yet. I'm not saying you should spend heavily on the bullpen, but even if it's a four million dollar contract for a reliever that still counts against your 60 million or so that you have to spend and again 60 you may only get to 60 if you non-tender Dakota Hudson or you trade Tyler O'Neill like the, you're you're operating under this assumption that the Cardinals yeah they're saying they'll get to 200 million but they're not really going to go much beyond that if at all and last year they said they were willing to go to that but they actually didn't do it so it's still a, it's still one thing to say yeah we're able to go up to 200 million it's another thing to Execute the deals and the trades that allow you to do so. A rotation of Montgomery, Michaelis, Mats, Imanaga, and in the Imanaga spot, you could put let's see who some of the other names in that tier are. You could put Kenta Maeda, you could put Michael Waka, you could put Seth Lugo, you could put Nick Martinez. I think Giolito more expensive than they'll do if they've already signed Sonny Gray, if they've already signed Montgomery. Eduardo Rodriguez, I think, is more expensive than they'll do as the second free agent signing, so you're down to that lower tier just because of the budgetary the budgetary restrictions that I think they'll have. Sean Manaya, again, you're talking about some names that aren't even a given at that point, but if that's your number four, again, who's your number five starter? Is it Dakota Hudson on a $4 million contract? Because you know what that looks like. It, it, again, lowest strikeout rate in baseball outside of Adam Wainwright, who's retired as a result. Who else do you get? Is it the internal option department? Because Mosellock, in, in some of the more recent interviews, not August when he said three starters, but at the end of September when he talked to the cat and said, well, you know, when, when I said three starters, we really didn't have but one in Michaelis that was healthy. And so it felt worse than it was. And now, you know, maybe not on the three-starters thing because we really like Jack Thompson. We've seen good things from Zach Thompson. You could make that gamble and win, Moseley, Like You could make that gamble and win because I like Jack Thompson. He's a talented young kid. But he's not proven for what you'd be asking him to do is come in as the number five and be great and pitch the innings. And if you don't, we're going to have to sign another Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez type to back you up, but those guys cost $10 million. They they don't come free. So if you get Montgomery or Gray and you get Imanaga or Giolito, which I think would be a little bit loftier than you'll even do, or Nick Martinez or Seth Lugo or, or Michael Waka, you spent $40 million and then you need another one. So now it's $50 million. Or you're counting on Zach Thompson, Dakota Hudson, that group, Drew Rahm, And Mo said, we like what we saw from our young guys, our internal options down the stretch of the season. Did you? I'm not saying they were terrible, but were they different? Were they they difference makers that tell you that 2024, relying upon them again, is going to result in a different outcome compared to what happened in 2023? If one of those guys is filling your number five spot in the rotation. I don't know that it is different. And all of this, again, we are taking several leaps of faith already with this rotation and, and finding ways to assume that it improves, here's the kicker. What happens when one of them gets hurt? Because it happens every single spring. You can't go in with a a combo of Drew Rom, Zach Thompson as your number five starter because that guy's actually going to be your number four when one of these guys gets injured and has an arm injury in February. When Steven Matz comes in and something's not looking right. When Miles Michaels comes in and something's not looking right. It doesn't matter which one it is. It's just going to be one of them. You can't stake your season on our number five starter is a combination of a guy we pay a few million dollars for to be a swing man in case Zach Thompson's not ready because then both of those guys are going to be in your rotation. This is why the Cardinals may not even cut Dakota Hudson. They may not non-tender him because those might just be the innings that they need next year. And that's fine. I like Dakota Hudson. I can understand that if If they don't have the confidence that they can meaningfully replace him for six, seven, eight million dollars, they'll pay him the four and have him around just in case. Maybe why they don't cut Jake Woodford. They may just say, hey, for a million bucks, we may need those innings that we know that he can provide. Even if it's not the most quality of innings, we know what it is. We know that that he'll just kind of get us through some periods where we do have some some attrition in our rotation if that happens. I get it. I get why you'd have to do that because you don't have enough, uh, enough confidence in being able to meaningfully, aggressively replace all of the the missing pieces that you have already. Flaherty, the Wainwright spot, the Montgomery spot still at this point because they haven't signed anybody. So you, you're not ready on Friday, November 17th, to take more of your pitching depth away with the belief that yeah, this $4 million to Hudson, this $1 million dollars to Woodford, we're going to sign somebody else that's a little better for that $5 million. Maybe we have to spend 8 or $9 million on that guy. But it's going to improve our team. That's what they need to do, I think. But I don't know if they're going to be able to have the confidence in themselves to do it. And then if the musical chairs stop and they didn't even get that swing man as their number three, right? Because the, it's a given that you get the number one and the number two in terms of we need two starters this offseason, as Moselec said. But the number three guy, you probably have to spend a little bit on. And what does that look like? And do they have the confidence that they'll be able to convince that name to sign on the dotted line or that they'll be able to trade for that name in in another smaller deal? Will they have that confidence by tomorrow when they have to decide whether to tender a contract to Dakota? If you bring him back, you bring him back. But is it going to be different? Is it going to be different suddenly when it wasn't different last year for Dakota and that was the year for it to be different? It's going to be tough, man, because you look at it and say that's going to be the rotation – And at that point, it's not that different. You've really replaced one name from last year's rotation. And you've replaced basically, say, the worst one that you had, which was Wainwright. You've replaced him with Shota Imanaga or Seth Lugo. If you can't figure out a trade, maybe it's Lucas Giolito at the upper end. And you've made that replacement. You brought in new Jack Flaherty to replace Jack Flaherty. And you brought in Jordan Montgomery or uh, Sonny Gray to replace Jordan Montgomery. What happens to the the last spot? Well, it's Zach Thompson and Dakota Hudson replacing Waino on a full-term basis, which, as I said yesterday, if they cut Adam Wainwright in the middle of the season like most teams would do with a pitcher that has an ADRA, but he was a franchise legend and the season was basically a wash, so they didn't, which I was in support of. But if you do that, it gets you to 75 wins instead of 71. It doesn't get you to 85 or 90 to make the playoffs last year. So if you replace the Wainwright spot with Dakota Hudson or with a a swing man slash Zach Thompson in 2024, you've increased your wins by three or four. But where else in the rotation are you finding those additional wins? Because if it's Montgomery to Montgomery, it's the same. If it's Michaelis to Michaelis, it's the same unless he's much better, which I think they are going to have to count on some positive regression from Michaelis. And it may come, but it also may not come. And if you want that to arrive, you need to make sure your infield defense is more consistent than playing a different guy at second base every day, playing a different guy at shortstop every other week. You need Goldschmidt to be the prime version of himself defensively at first. Same for Arenado at third. You need all of that to to be a priority if you're going to be counting on a Michaelis revival. Because a Michaelis revival is not necessarily coming if you don't fix the things around Michaelis that can make him successful, which is pitch to contact so better the defense. And Nolan Gorman's not a bad defender, but he's not a Miles Michaelis second baseman. If you're looking to if you're looking to win, and it's not even the infield too. I spent a lot of time talking about the infield. Miles Michaelis pitches to fly ball contact as well. You need the outfield to be good defensively. What's Jordan Walker going to be in right field or does he need to be a DH? If he needs to be a DH, then Nolan Gorman can't be an everyday DH. But then you're kind of a little bit depleted on your infield defense. Lars Newpar is a good athletic outfielder. He's better suited to the corners. He should not go into the season as a center fielder. Well, Tommy Edmonds going to do that because outfield defense matters. Okay, but then do you have enough offense? Like, the, If you're devoting center field to Tommy Edmonds, which it seems like they very well may do, I would be of the mind that you should instead go get a left-handed hitting center fielder who is like Alec Bertleson level offense or better, and I still don't know that I have that name. Uh, maybe maybe Travis Jankowski, and it's probably not the case that he would be left-handed uh, Burleson offensive production or better. But Travis Jankowski, let me take a look at his numbers. Veteran outfielder, good speedster, good defense, didn't play a full season, but put, a, put up a, a win and a half on war in 287 plate appearances. His offense is not great but he steals you some bases, 19 steals. He's kind of interesting, but the OPS was 689. So, like, offensively, he's going to be below average. But, like, the Kevin Kiermaier tier of a defense first outfielder, but if you could find that guy who could also hit a little bit too, then I think you would you would have what you need. And now you might say, well, isn't that Dylan Carlson? Well, Carlson's not as good against right-handed pitching. He's really, you should think of Dylan Carlson as a right-handed hitter who happens to switch hit. And Tommy Edmond is a similar situation there because you need somebody that can hit right-handed pitching well and play solid defense in center field. And you could just put Lars Neupar there, and I think you could be okay, but if you're trying to prioritize your defense for guys like Miles Michael is because you say they need to have a revival in order for our team to be better this year than it was last year. like You have to keep asking yourself what changes from 2023 to 2024 to add the 20 extra wins because I think it can be done, but if you don't change enough about the team, I don't think it happens just via magic. You could get some extra wins from vibes. I will say that you could get a few extra wins from vibes and the vibes were really, really bad last year. So just the notion that it's, it's almost impossible for it to be that bad again. Maybe that does get you a few extra wins throughout the year, but that's not enough. That's smoke and mirror stuff. You have to do tangible things that are different. And so, Back to my point about if you're penciling Tommy Edmond in to be the center fielder because you want to prioritize defense, you can do that. But can you win with a lineup that has Tommy Edmond every day in the center field, which means you cannot use Tommy Edmond to backfill shortstop if Mason Wynn doesn't hit. You're basically saying Mason Wynn's got to be that guy. And if you're not confident for sure that he's going to be, and that's why you bring in all these extra infielders and say maybe Donovan can play shortstop, Maybe that's why we need to keep Jose Fermin, but he can't hit either. I mean, you're looking at Mason Wynn's numbers with St. Louis down the stretch last year. He had 137 plate appearances with a 467 OPS. He hit 172 with very little power. Do I think it's going to be better than that for Mason Wynn this year? I absolutely do. But it could be hundred points of OPS better. He could he could OPS 570, and it's still not be enough to justify. Him at shortstop, I'm talking about the lineup at this point. He's a shortstop, great defensively, so I don't have any concerns there. But if he doesn't improve a ton, now you've got a, a minus at, at the plate at shortstop. He'll bet ninth. You've got Tommy Edmund in center field, who's not a minus, but he's very much league average in center field. And I guess the question would be, can you afford that? Having kind of two spots in your lineup that you know, and eh, they're going to be league average to probably a little bit below league average offensively in terms of their production. If you get vintage Arnado, if you get vintage Goldsmith, if you get Lars Neupahr to do what he did last year, or maybe even get a little better, if you get improvements from Walker, because he's a young player still on the rise, and I think you will get improvements from Walker. I think that's coming. If you get the same Wilson Contreras offensively that you had, and if you get Donovan Gorman to kind of do what they did but do it healthy, then I think the answer is probably yes, you can get away with that. And I, I do think your defense is better for it if Tommy is not is in the outfield but at second base, is it a Gorman-Donovan split where Donovan is going to fill in in the outfield, in the corner spots when guys take a day off? And then are, are you willing to put Newt Bar in center field? Is see your backup center fielder again when you put Donovan in left field on the days that he plays outfield? And are you good enough defensively with that alignment? It just feels like you're skirting danger both offensively and defensively in terms of having enough. Because Jordan Walker, like if you traded Gorman, you'd say, Jordan Walker, we love him. We're going to keep asking him to work on outfield, but he's going to be a primary DH. And that's maybe a decision you don't want to make when a kid's 21, 22, and he's athletic and he could do it. I'm sure he can improve and he's working in Jupiter all offseason to improve defensively. But like those changes have to be made and he's got to be better. Otherwise, you are hurting your defense. Like if they could turn him into a league average outfielder in the way that Gorman is a league average defensive second baseman, I think it would go a long way toward making this roster make a little bit more sense, but these things have to happen. It it can't just be, you know, you're playing it on a video game, it's MLB the show, and you press a button and you say, upgrade Jordan Walker's defense. Like, he's got to go, go out there and make that happen. That's one of a dozen things that's like that, that all I think have to happen at the same time for this Cardinals team to really show the improvement. And I think a good number of them can happen, and I'd bet on Jordan Walker. I wouldn't bet against him. You know that kid is uh, is out of this world talented and out of this world driven and motivated, but the things do have to happen. But if you can get that, if you can get the defense, it makes a little bit more sense. And I do think part of that is not just get different players, but it is incumbent a little bit on the front office and on Ollie Marmol to recognize: last year we took it too far. We took it too far with having guys play different positions every day. It's not fair and it's not to the benefit of the team. Have a little bit of flexibility. But don't don't ask everybody to be everything to everyone. You need to have a little bit of concreteness to your defense so that guys know what to expect. It's a balance because I do think too much depth was a problem with the outfield. You had too many. You have to pare that down a little bit. Have enough that you still have depth, but pare it down a little bit. I think in the in the middle infield you can make a similar case. You got to decide what Tommy Edmund is and what he wants to be, what you want him to be for your team. In order to get the most out of Tommy Edmond, of all the players they have, he and Donovan are the most capable of just playing anywhere and doing anything, and they won't they won't say no. But you can also look at the numbers and go, man, when Tommy Edmond, a former Gold Glover at second base, was asked to go play second, all of a sudden when DeYoung came back, it was a he he didn't look quite right at first. He made some key errors that cost you games. It's not Tommy Edmond's fault to me. I think you have to put players in the best position to succeed and don't take for granted a guy's ability to be flexible and, and and to just be plugged in anywhere. Use it, but use it sparingly. Use it productively, I think would be the the ask that I would have of the Cardinals to better the team. All of these defensive aspects, the reason I'm talking so much about defense in an episode that we've labeled as a starting pitching conversation is because they are interconnected. Especially if the Cardinals are admitting they're not going to be able to dabble as much at the top of the market. They're not going to be able to get the king strikeout rate guy, Blake Snell, or Aaron Nola, or even Yamamoto, who I don't think is a king strikeout rate guy, but is is good enough that, you know, he's great, just a great pitcher. But if you can't get those guys, that's going to make it even more difficult and put more pressure on you to have a better defense than you had last year. Okay, if we say strikeout rate's important, you can replace Dakota Hudson, Adam Wainwright with guys who have a eight and a half strikeouts per nine or nine strikeouts per nine instead of Five or sub five and you get better. You don't have to improve the defense to get more outs because you're striking more guys out. You can do that. Is it enough? Or do you also need to say we should prioritize the defense too? Which means maybe trading one of your most talented and valuable assets in a guy like Gorman, which I I hate to say it all the time because then it feels like I'm advocating for it. I'm not. But if you're telling me you can't get into the top of the market and tap into that from a free agent pitching standpoint, The only way to get elite pitching is by trading for it. And the only way to trade for elite pitching is to trade elite talent that you already have at other positions. So you're going to have to do something in order to make it different. If you kind of stagnate and say, we weren't bold enough to make any of the big moves that were needed, so we just kind of worked at the periphery and we're going to call Sonny Gray a big move, it's not going to work. Because Sonny Gray is about the equivalent to what Montgomery gave you last year, which was really good, but he was the only one that was really good in the rotation. A combination of, like, good and took the ball every fifth day. You have to have both. Mats at the end of the day, was good, didn't take the ball every fifth day and and was inconsistent. He wasn't good at the beginning of the year. But his numbers at the end of the year bore out, and you're fine with it. Michaelis took the ball every day or every fifth day, but he wasn't as good. The quality wasn't quite there. And Michaelis pitching some bad luck, but you also make your own luck with a pitcher like that based on what you give him defensively. Now, there was hard contact, too. Michaelis gave up home runs. Like There are things that he's got to do as a pitcher to be a little better than he was, but I would say a lot of it is just going to be based on him doing the same stuff he did and getting a little bit more lucky, and you make that luck by being better on defense. So there are things the Cardinals can tangibly do to get better, but a lot of those things involve doing transactions that I am, based on reading the quotes, of, Yeah, it's not going to be two dudes that we get in free agency. It's going to be maybe a dude, we hope we can convince a dude to sign, and then a secondary guy that's that's going to be on a lower tier, lower shelf. And those are the two. Well, you still got to trade for somebody, in my opinion. When did three starters become two? I think three became two when Moselak realized it's going to be hard to do three. But from the moment on August 14th that he said three, people were saying, it's going to be hard to do three. I can't believe he said that, but he did. You're not going to be able to tether him to that anymore because he's not going to do it, I don't think. And part of it, again, may just be him going, all right, we know internally we need three, but if we keep saying three and can't get it done, that's going to look even worse. We'll just have to eat it that I said it in August, and and you know people will remember, but it is what it is at this point. Or we know we need three, but talking about needing three is just going to give... Agents leverage is going to give other teams leverage. We got to I we got to walk that back a little bit for the benefit of ourselves in negotiations because we don't want teams to, or or free agents and, and their agents, to know how desperate we feel we are internally. We've got to pretend that we're a little more comfortable than we actually are so that when we get three, it feels like opponents. But Moselak could have said that at the beginning, right? He could have said, well, yeah, we're going to need a couple of starters, and then we're going to have internal battle for the— But at the time, it felt good to say three, right? Because he knew the fans were going to eat it up and say, that's great, finally. We're we're going to get what we need. But did it hurt him in the long run because he had to end up walking it back to avoid looking as desperate as they actually are in the eyes of the public, in the eyes of other player agents or other teams that they might look to trade with? Mosaic's been doing this for a long time, but it does feel like there are PR missteps often, and that feels like it may be one of them but it's not one of them if they end up getting what they need. So I'm not going to rip him for it yet, but the result, like we have to anchor to remember what was said and then see what actually is the result and judge him based on that because I feel like that's the job. That's the job is, is media to scrutinize the team. I always say I'd love for the Cardinals to win every game. I'd love for them to do well. It's good for business, and I, again, former Cardinal fan, I don't view it from that perspective anymore. But when I talk about the Cardinals, like, I want to view it like a fan views it. I want it because I know that's what you guys are doing listening to the podcast. So this is kind of another stream of consciousness about the pitching because until, until we see something from the Cardinals, we have to keep kind of making those machinations in our mind of what they might do. Hope you guys have enjoyed this episode. Please click subscribe if you have. And uh, honestly, click subscribe if you haven't because I still want you on board even if you hated this episode. Uh, but let me know in the comments what you thought and what you think the Cardinals will do. Get those YouTube comments flowing like this video, and make sure you are subscribed to not miss all future videos as it pertains to the St. Louis Cardinals offseason and the upcoming campaign. Thank you guys so much for listening. That's going to do it for this edition of the show, and we'll talk to you next time on Be Shaved Daily. Peace.